0: Hi, I'm Olesa Pindak, the Chief Content Officer here at Mind Body Green. Today I'm excited to welcome Dr. Bindia Gandhi to the Mind Body Green podcast. Bindia is a family medicine MD with a passion for functional medicine. She sees a wide range of patients, from babies to adults to elderly patients. Her main goal in working with anyone is to get to the root cause of the issues and make her patients feel healthy in the most natural way possible. She's also a lifelong yogi, a certified yoga instructor, and a Reiki master. Bindia is an advocate for her patients, and she urges everyone to take control of their own health and feel agency in their lives, which we talk about a lot in the podcast. She also shares her personal health crisis that got her interested in an integrative approach to health, as well as her advice on everything from gut health to inflammation and balancing your hormones. Bindia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Let's start out by talking a little bit about how you got into this field. Tell us a little bit about it. You just graduated from med school. What brought you from that traditional scope of medicine into this more holistic point of view that you have now?
1: So I think I always had this, like, inklinging me of knowing that um, traditional medicine wasn't right. So where did that come from? So even in in medical school, um, like I remember my pharmacology class, my pharmacology professor, you know, when we're going through, you know, medications and learning about mechanism of action, he specifically said to me, he was like, Bindia, you know, these are not side effects of medications. This is what is supposed to happen. And I remember thinking, well, that doesn't make sense. So if I'm going to prescribe a prescription for, say, high blood pressure um, and the side effect is, you know, ankle or leg swelling, or I'm going to end up giving this person gout, um, that's what's supposed to happen. That doesn't make sense, right? So I knew very early on, I was like, not sure about this. But, you know, I kept trucking, kept doing what I needed to do. Also in med school is when I got really into yoga and meditation, just For my own personal practices. So that was really big, you know, because you're always stressed and you're kind of like just dealing with being a student, right? Um, All the work and stuff. So that part of me, you know, developed really fast. I got Reiki trained, yoga certified in medical school. So by the time I graduated, I I was already kind of in a different mindset. How did the other students react
0: to that? Were people
1: um, supportive of that? Were they curious about what you were doing? So I remember remember one of my friends, um, and she was like, why are you spending all this time, you know, learning about reiki and yoga? She's like, is insurance going to cover that? And I'm like, you know, I can't answer that right now, but <laughs> it's something that I feel like I need to do and I'm so glad I did, even if it was just for personal development, you know. But it really impacted me in a positive way and I knew I was like, you know, somehow this is I'm going to intertwine this with medicine and and that's what I ended up doing. So, um went through a traditional family medicine residency and of course, my Again, my nourishment for integrative functional medicine started growing, and I started, you know, dabbling in reading and going to conferences and working with some really good doctors, training with them. And so by the time I graduated, I had started my fellowship with Dr. Andrew Weil at the University of Arizona and started my functional medicine training through the Institute of Functional Medicine. So I kind of had everything lined up because it was like it was going to happen, it was just part of the the way I, my path was to be. So.
0: And then you had a personal experience.
1: I did. Yes. It was in residency. Um, it was my first year of residency. So it's super stressed, right? You're working all the time. You're not sleeping. You're eating like crap. And even though I was meditating and, and trying to work out doing the best I could, you know, I still felt awful. And it started off with, um, this rash I had. And, um, it just never went away. And I was like, this is weird, you know? And of course, I'm talking to like my, you know, family medicine preceptors and, and they're here, try this cream, try that cream, try this prescription. And then I was like, this isn't working, guys. Like I, this, this rash ended up lasting for about two years. And, um, at my residency program, it was, I ended up going to like the top dermatologist there, going to the allergist there. Um, so I had seen all these really good specialists, had done all their recommendations, tried all their creams and pills, and they took biopsies and did all these fun things, and we still didn't know what was the cause of the rash. And I was like, in my head, I was like, it's got to be some sort of nutritional deficiency. There's got to be something that I'm doing that I'm not, like, with the f- something with eating. And, and everybody was like, no, 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 it doesn't make sense. So I ended up, you know, kind of going above and beyond and getting some functional integrative testing done, and that's when I found out that I actually had celiac And then, of course, I found out I had some food sensitivities at the same time. So that's when I ended up going strictly on a gluten-free diet. Um, of course, my rash went away within that week. <laughs> Amazingly, you know, I think. Were there other ways you started to feel better too? Yeah, you know, like my cycles were off. So um, I had a lot of like cycle issues. And again, everybody in residency is like, you're stressed, you work too much, you're just not sleeping enough. Um, you know, so my cycles r- started regulating better. Um, I didn't have that many headaches, um, I had more energy, I was sleeping better. So all these things started improving. And I was like, Again, reassuring me why I needed to go down this path versus a conventional, traditional, you know, being the traditional family medicine doctor.
0: And what does your practice look like today?
1: So, right now I'm in private practice. It's kind of a hybrid practice, so I still do primary care with a lot of patients, but my focus is obviously integrative and functional medicine. So I see um, kids to to adults, to to elderly geriatric patients. We do different things with different patients. So so a lot of times we're taking people off of medication. Um, That's kind of the stuff I like to do. My job is to get to the root cause. I don't like to sugarcoat things. I want people to feel better and get healthier, right, in a more natural way. It's all about lifestyle changes to me, right? And I'm very honest and upfront. There are no quick fixes to anything. You have to put in the work to a lot of things. It's not just about taking a supplement or being on the trendy diet that everybody's following right now. It's very unique, very individualized to every individual. So that's something I stress upon. Um, It's very individualized care. I like to do a lot of Functional testing a lot of lab testing Um, and the reason behind that is because to me data is so important I don't like to treat blindly. I want to know if I'm putting you on a supplement your body needs that supplement, right? So there's a lot of things that I do With good reason right and so uh, I see a lot of different types of patients all the time and it's fun It keeps it it keeps it different. I love listening to people's stories and kind of seeing what they've gone through over the last you know few years of their life to get them to where they are today um, and it's it's very humbling it's a, it's it's wonderful So working with such a wide
0: range of patients, everyone from babies to geriatric patients, what are the things that you see come up over and over and over again with that huge wide range of people? Like, What are the conditions that are showing up, especially more frequently now than you might have seen
1: 10 years ago? I see a lot of autoimmune conditions. So this is something I see a lot in younger people. Um, Very, very interesting to see, so even though People think that they may be healthy, or they're eating a certain way, or not. Um, I tend to see a lot of more autoimmune conditions pop up, a lot of thyroid conditions pop up, um, a lot of gut issues. You know, I think that's still the bread and butter of functional medicine, and gut issues related to candida. Or not just food sensitivities or bacterial imbalances in the gut. So there's different reasons why the gut is off too, right? But a lot of gut issues, a lot of autoimmune issues, thyroid issues. I see a lot of fertility issues. So definitely a wide array of of issues for sure. And then, you know, I I still see patients who have diabetes or metabolic disturbances or that kind of thing, or people who who come to me because they're like, you know, have a family history of heart disease. Like, I don't want to go down the road mom went down, or I have a family history of Alzheimer's. Like, do not want to go through that. Or mom has cancer and I don't want to do that. So we do a lot of preventative stuff for a lot of patients. So a lot of different things. You've said that the
0: definition of the word doctor doesn't mean healer. It means teacher.
1: Yeah. Can you explain that? For me, I like to give the power back to patients, right? So I'm all about educating patients and um, educating everyone because I know to me, knowledge is power. Um, Nobody can take your knowledge away from you when you have it. And so one of the things I like to teach patients, Patients is giving them that power back and not relying on me. And that's where education comes into place, where I want to teach you how to heal yourself, how to teach yourself um, different things and methods and and skills with using, whether it's meditation or different tools, so you can take your life back. And that to me is important because as much as I want to be your doctor all day, like, and I want you to need me, I want you to be independent and, and function without me if that makes sense.
0: Definitely. So you've brought up some pretty big issues that we talk about a lot that our audience is interested in. I know hormones, gut fertility. And can we start with hormones? And can you tell us a little bit about what your protocol is for dealing with people that have hormone issues? I know everyone is an individual and that is a broad category. Of course, But broadly speaking, are there ways that you start to tackle hormone issues that might be a little bit different from the way that, say, just a regular standard MD might?
1: Yeah. So the first thing I like to do is blood work. I like to kind of see what hormonal issue are we dealing with, whether it's you're a female or male? Because males too have hormonal issues, and it's not talked about as much. But you know, for a female, do you have polycystic ovarian disease? Um, do you are you estrogen and dominant? And is that blood work a standard blood work, or do you run extra labs? So it's a, it's a kind of like my hormone panel that I have, where I'm checking your progesterone, your pregnenolone, your testosterone, your um, cortisol levels, your estrogen, your estradiol, and your FSH So it's a whole bunch of labs that I, I like to test, right? And the way I like to kind of explain hormones, you don't want them to be too high, but you don't want them to be too low. You feel pretty crappy, right? So I have a lot of people in like perimenopausal age or even menopausal stuff. So too low of hormones affect their sex drive, their libido, their muscle mass. Nobody talks about like testosterone for females. Testosterone is important. You know, We don't want it to be too high because then you're not ovulating and you may have fertility issues. But if it's too low, your energy's feeling crappy. You're having intimacy issues. Um, So there's it, it's very unique. Stress hormones, that's, that's another thing I, I deal a lot with in my practice is stress, chronic stress, um, chronic stress over years, um, acute stress that can turn into chronic stress and learning how to manage that, but also regulating your adrenal gland because of pe- a lot of people now that I, that I tend to see have adrenal fatigue or adrenal exhaustion. And that's just because society has changed and we're, we're overworked or we're, we're just on the go all the time kind of thing. Can you explain a little bit about adrenal fatigue and what it is, how to, and then how to treat it? Yeah. So adrenal fatigue is something I see commonly in practice. Um, again, ages, early twenties to like people in their sixties, just from chronic stress. Usually what tends to happen with people with adrenal fatigue is they don't Realize their body is stressed. You know, they may not feel stressed because the body is smart and the body is very adaptable. And so they will just kind of learn to deal with a lot of things. I think most of us just are, are body smart and we'll just be like, oh, I, this is my normal, right? They don't realize they could feel better but with adrenal fatigue and adrenal uh, adrenal stress is they're not sleeping well they're craving carbs and sugars you know they're they're on that caffeine rush all the time they need that adrenaline booster rush and so without realizing they're feeding into it and then they they go home and they have stress they're stuck in traffic or they've got family stress or or work stress or whatever else is going on and a lot of times it can be for for females, you know, it could be, you know, starting off and getting pregnant and then that stress that puts on your body and then the fact that you have a newborn baby, you know, for a year you're breastfeeding or whatever, and you're that's chronic stress to to your body, and then and then coupled by say mom gets sick or whatever. It's just like over time that stress builds up and builds up and builds up and it causes you to gain weight and you're not just all these other things that happen to your body. You're not sleeping, you know, your energy's off, you're You just feel like crap all the time, so... Adrenal fatigue is, is, is real, guys, <laughs> for sure.
0: So with both these hormone imbalances and adrenal fatigue, and how do you start to get the hormones back into balance? Again, I know a broad question, but generally when you're dealing with hormone conditions, what are like the the top three things that you recommend in terms of balancing hormones?
1: So balancing hormones, again, depending on specifically what we're doing, again, I like to start off with labs. Um, I always like to go back to nutrition because say if, if we're talking about adrenal fatigue, I'm gonna cut you off of your caffeine and your sugar and, and limit your carbs and have you eat more protein. So, um, if you're estrogen dominant and I'm going to put you on an estrogen detox, you know, if you have PCOS, I'm going to put you on a, you know, a modified keto or a modified paleo diet, you know? So it, it's very specific to kind of what we're talking about, you know? Um, so diet is something I definitely will, will, will stress. And, and, and as part of my protocol, the other thing I like to do is supplements. You know. Um, to support your adrenals, you know, an adaptogen, for example, that may be important. Um, I may end up putting you on something like DIM if you've got estrogen detox. If you've got PCOS, I may end up putting you on um, something that controls your blood sugar and balances your hormones and kind of to lower your testosterone level or whatever. So supplements is important. Um, The other thing that I like to do is, you know, encourage movement and exercise, you know, not necessarily we have to get you to lose weight, but just movement is super important. Stress management is the other thing. So meditation, you know, that is something I encourage as well. So there's, it's kind of like you have to have pillars of health. You kind of have to do all the things together, like stress management, nutrition, exercise, um, sleeping well, you know, um, balancing your hormones. It's it's And having someone guide you to, to do it because a lot of times, um, and this is some of the frustration I have in practice too sometimes, is like I can give you the best protocol sometimes, but sometimes people don't follow through. <laughs> And sometimes that's frustrating to me because I'm like, I'm telling you what to do. Why are you not doing it? Right. <laughs> but um what I've learned over the years is in people in the office, they're like pumped, I'm gonna do this, Dr. B, like I'm gonna follow this, like so on it. And then they go home and life happens, you know? And this is where, you know, I'm like, okay, let's keep you accountable. Let's, let's, let's do the extra steps so you can so we can get you better and so you can see the results because there's some people that are very self-motivators and like they've got the willing power the willpower to make some changes and there's other people that are like I'm gonna do it but then they get in the car and they're like but I really want that McDonald's or Popeye's chicken sandwich you know <laughs> whatever so, <laughs> the temptations, yeah the temptations in life and and having support is so important right so that's the other thing I I I, I encourage is, I will be your support system. My staff will be your support system. But you have to be your support system. And you have to have people around you that will support you. Because if you go home and your spouse or your significant other is like, uh, why are you taking 10 supplements? Or what kind of diet is this? Like, I, I this is crazy. That's not support. So you need to have a good support system to be successful.
0: So let's talk about the gut. You mentioned that you yeah. deal with a lot of gut issues. And there are probably a lot of other issues that are cropping up that actually – start in the gut as you experience with your celiac. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about um, what are the ways that we should all be taking care of our gut, that we should be healing our guts. Um, if you are experiencing some kind of gut disturbance, what are the things that, um, that you recommend?
1: So when it comes to gut health, it, it can vary. It can be something as simple as a food sensitivity, you know, eliminating that food sensitivity, maybe your gut will heal. Um, it can be um, something as chronic or, you know, like celiac or inflammatory inflammatory bowel disease, like um, ulcerative colitis or Crohn's. Um, it can be things like parasites or a bacterial imbalance or candida overgrowth. So we talk about gut health. It's kind of broad. But one of the things, again, diet is so important. You know, sometimes we'll put people on elimination diets, kind of like a trial and error, and see if we eliminate certain foods. Does it help your gut? Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, And that's when we'll do, you know, additional testing and kind of figure out, okay, what else do we need to do? supplements when it comes to gut health is important, right? I like probiotics. I'm a big fan of probiotics. In fact, I think everybody should be on a probiotic all the time because the gut is so important. You want to diversify your gut. You want to keep it healthy. And now studies are showing that you know gut health is so important. And if you have an imbalance of good bacteria, that's going to link to heart disease later on in life or Alzheimer's or other medical conditions or autoimmune conditions. So to me, gut health is so important, especially when we talk about like Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, like all medical problems start in the gut. And so, um, treating the gut, making sure it's, it's healthy, having normal bowel movements, you know, oftentimes I see people and they don't have a bowel movement every day, you know, and, but to them, that's normal. And in my world, I'm like, no, 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 that's not Mm -hmm. normal. So making sure that you're having your, your, having bowel movements and, and sometimes we have to do a gut detox, you know, putting you on things that'll help nourish your gut. Like, um, glutamine is one of my favorite supplements, you know, and things like that. What are the top things that we should be eating every day to improve our gut health? So that's a really great question. So I'm a big fan of fiber or prebiotic foods. The reason is, is because prebiotic foods and, and things like fiber actually feed the good bacteria. What are your favorite and prebiotic foods? Right now, I would say um, I do a lot of personally. I do a lot of like fiber supplements or like um, psyllium husk in my in my cooking and my foods. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's always good. Inulin is another supplement that you can use, um, but onions, chicory root. That kind of thing, all good prebiotic-rich foods that you want to incorporate, but just fiber in general, right? We as a we as a society do not eat enough fiber, so fiber keeps you full, keeps your blood sugars down, and then improves your gut health, right? And also encourages you to poop, <laughs> which is good. <laughs> so, so important. Fiber is super important. Prebiotics super important. Um, I, I, taking a probiotic also is important. Now, a lot of times people. You know, get tired of taking supplements, but there's ways you can get probiotics in your food like kombucha, you know, sauerkraut, kimchi, um, miso. I usually encourage dairy free kefir, you know, for people who are dairy sensitive. So having some sort of probiotic food in your diet as well, along with the prebiotic, is important. So those are something that I think everybody should be doing every day.
0: Let's talk trends Um, intermittent fasting.
1: So I, I think intermittent fasting is great. It's not for everybody, um, especially for people who are trying to conceive or for people who are, have adrenal fatigue or adrenal exhaustion that's um, feeding into that more.
0: And how do you define intermittent fasting? there are so many different windows that there's so talk many about. different
1: windows and the first of the reason is like why the question is like why do you want to get into intermittent fasting is it because you want to improve in, in, inflammation or you're trying to lose weight or are we doing it to boost your immune system like why are we why are we doing this right um, or are you doing it because everybody and their mom is doing it right <laughs> now right and then when we talk about intermittent fasting there's like i'm going to have someone start off with a 12 hour fast that's the 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 most or the earliest I'll have you, you know, fast. And then we'll go up to about 16, 18 hour fast. I usually don't encourage 24 hour fast. That's not my my personal trend. Um, I know some other people feel comfortable doing that, but it's not something that I encourage in my practice. So 16, 18 hour is the max I'll have someone fast. And what that means is you're not eating um, for 16 to 18 hours. So if you're eating, say, 7 a.m., uh, sorry seven pm is your last meal if we're doing a 12 hour fast you're not eating again till seven am, which means uh, you can drink water and you can have tea and some coffee and no calories, no protein, anything and then we work your way up. so I like to start slow and then work people up just to see how they tolerate it and and if they tolerate but I have seen in practice that it does over time if you're not monitoring your thyroid function it can affect your your free t three so, it's not for everybody. What about um keto? Keto, keto is so popular. <laughs> keto's been popular and it's getting continues to get popular. It's not for everybody too, right? So a lot So of, first who is it great for? So if you've got some sort of metabolic syndrome, maybe PCOS, you are trying to kind of limit your sugars, your carbs, that kind of thing, it works great. If you've got a little bit of candida, kind of great. But I've seen it for people who either have fertility, having fertility issues, were restricting a lot of foods that could be beneficial for you. Um, and I have seen that people get on it, and instead of it helping your labs, it actually negatively hurts your labs. So I, I see sometimes patients that they're like, yeah, I did strict keto over the summer, and I checked their labs, and I'm like, but your cholesterol levels actually went up. Granted, it should go down but not for everybody. Genetically, everybody's different. So um, I actually just told someone the other day that I was like, we need to stop doing keto on you because your LDL has now bumped up 30 points and that's because you've been doing keto. So clearly, you're not someone that needs to be on a keto diet. And it's interesting
0: that you say fertility because I do know that some women are doing keto specifically for fertility. So what is that um, distinction?
1: So again, like it it depends on... When we talk about fertility, like my whole thing is like, well, why are we having struggle? Why are we struggling with fertility? Is it a hormonal imbalance? And that is that could be something from your thyroid being off to um, you know your free T three being off, and you're not ovulating appropriately, or the fact that you don't have too much progesterone, or or your testosterone's off. So I mean, it it really depends. But keto is not for everybody, especially for fertility. What you want to do to prepare yourself for uh, fertility is to make sure that you're eating a healthy kind of like a more of an anti-inflammatory diet in general and then catering and saying okay well let's tweak it now because you know your testosterone levels are too high keto would be good for you because we're restrict we're trying to bring your um you know that testosterone level down so it it's again very just very specialized yeah yeah
0: um and then what about meatless versus meat, especially burgers. (laughs) Is this part of a healthy diet or
1: not? Of course, right? The plant-based, the plant-based trend. I am all about eating healthy and I'm all about eating, you know, vegetables at every meal and making sure you're getting adequate, you know, greens in your diet for sure. Um, But when it comes to the plant-based meats, remember they're still processed. So I, I do want to encourage people that they are still processed. I'm not a big fan of processed meats now. If you're doing it once in a while, not a big deal. But if you've now replaced every single meat in your fridge with plant-based burgers and, and you know, I don't even know what all the, the food's out there, probably not a good thing, right? So um, that's what, what my soy products too. I'm not a big fan of soy products. I don't like all the fake meat sausages and bacon and all the stuff that sounds great. I'm like, no, because it's processed. Is it organic? Is it, you know, is it genetically modified? There's so many other questions that I have. I mean, especially with all the the plant-based meat stuff, I mean, the pesticide content and the GMO content is still high, right? So not as clean as you think it is. So eating vegetables, I'm all about. But when we start (laughs) talking about things that are processed, I'm like, "Mm, let's think twice about that. And what about meat itself? So meat, you know, everybody's individual. And I like to look at things like your blood type because there are some people like I'm O positive. My body needs a little bit more meat. You know, I used to be vegetarian um, when I was in high school, college, and I was probably the the unhealthiest I ever was. Now, granted, I've been pregnant with this pregnancy. I've been eating less meat just because my body is is kind of unfortunately rejecting it but i'm also more tired you know and i could just be pregnancy um, but you know protein is important and some people some people need that protein you know and some people don't and 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 people are vegetarian or vegan for different reasons whether it's like you know personal reasons or ethics animal ethics or whatever you know or cuz it's trendy there's there's so many different reasons why you may or may not eat meat but ask yourself and I and again I see this in practice with a lot of my vegan vegetarians, they're not healthy. They have a lot of B12 problems, and their iron is low. Like they feel tired. So, ask yourself why you're being vegetarian and vegan. And it's not to say that you have to be so strict about it. You know, I still have patients that they're still very plant based and and vegetarian most of the time. But it's okay to eat like a salmon. Like once a month or something. Like, do you know what I mean? It's it's finding a balance for you and that works for you and your body.
0: So you see a lot of women in your practice. You Correct. see a lot of people in general, but you do see a lot of women and you treat them in a very holistic, well-rounded way. I'm curious about what you think Medicine in general gets wrong about the way that they treat women's issues, specifically hormones, hormone issues, and the way that I think a lot of um, patients, but women in particular, can feel a little bit dismissed. So, by doctors,
1: one of the the things that I see all the time, and because again, this is I'm also speaking from experience, is, oh, um, your cycles are off. Let's put you on birth control pill. Oh, you're feeling tired and a little, uh, a little off. Let's put you on an antidepressant, like um, medicine. And society, they're really quick to just give you a pill and and shoo you away. You know, take an antidepressant, take a, take a birth control pill, and we'll see you back in three months. Have a good day. Like that's. Unfortunately, the traditional route, you know. So my job again is to kind of get to the root cause. Well, why do you have a hormonal balance? Like, well, what's going on there? Um, why are you not sleeping? Like, why are you tired all the time? No, an antidepressant, not the the answer. Like, you know, let's figure out why you're tired. You know, is it because your your adrenals are they burnt out? You know, it's very again specific to kind of like what what we're trying to to reach.
0: What are the tests that you run or the labs that you ask for specifically for women that are different from what a general doctor might do? Um, or are there labs that women can be asking their doctors to do that might give their doctors a little bit
1: more insight? You know, I one of the things I encourage, whether you see me or don't see me, is is one, take take your health back into your control. Um, And so ask for testing, kind of like demand testing sometimes. Keep a copy of the testing and keep track of your testing. So whether if it's your thyroid testing, like don't just get a TSH, get a full panel of your thyroid. So get a TSH, a free T3, a free T4, you know, reverse T3, you know, um, total T3, total T4. So not just – don't just say, I just want my thyroid check doc. What kind of testing are you checking in, in my thyroid? I, I want the full rounded panel, you know, kind of encourage that. Be an advocate for yourself. Even when we talk about hormones, um, are you checking just my, my estradiol and my progesterone? Are you checking my testosterone level? Are you checking my cortisol DHT? Are you checking my DHEA? So making sure they understand what they're asking their doctor to do. Because a lot of times doctors will say, oh, you know what? you know, we're not going to check that test. There's no need to check that test. Or um, if they do a test, it's very superficial. They're just doing one part of it. They're not doing the whole thing. So being an advocate of yourself is so important.
0: Inflammation is something that's come up a few times now and I think is a big part of some of the things we've already talked about. Can you tell us a little bit about inflammation, why it occurs, why it's so bad, why seeing it can be a marker of larger conditions and
1: then what you can do to get it under control? So inflammation is, is another good broad topic, right? Um, Specifically, sometimes people have inflammation and don't even know they have inflammation, you know. And sometimes people have inflammation and that can be like, my joints are hurting. And that's what their inflammation is kind of spanning from. Or they feel like something's off, can't pinpoint it, and, and they feel like they have inflammation. But oftentimes I see patients that have, you know, high what we call CRP ESR markers. And they have no idea. Like, they're just like, but I feel okay. Like, like what's going on? Inflammation can be things going on with, like, autoimmune conditions. It can be going stuff going on in the gut. It can be your immune system's, like, compromised right now. Um, or you have a lot of allergies. You know, a lot of times we, we – we, I see imp- – practice people have high allergies right now and so the inflammation can be coming from allergies Inflammation can can be coming from um, your hormonal imbalance or whatever so again very broad very you know very different but very common very common to is testing your inflammation level something that everybody should be asking their doctors to do you know I encourage people to have you know their homocysteine and CRP checked um, not every doctor is gonna do that you know and, and here's the other thing is this is what I, I often you know see in practice too insurance doesn't cover all this stuff you know so yes I am a big advocate of testing and I'm like yes get all the testing in the world but you know unfortunately there is a cost involved to that so that sometimes is an inhibiting or limiting factor for a lot of people but like homocysteine i love that test but insurance never covers that test do you know what i mean so it's sometimes so, even if you
0: don't have the testing, but you're just aware that you might have a little bit of joint pain, you might mm-hmm. have some kind of symptom of inflammation that you know that you probably have it. Yeah. Um, what do you recommend that people do to tame inflammation? We, we know that it's so important. We know that it causes larger problems. But so, how do we bring inflammation down in our bodies? The all biggest the time? thing
1: I like to do is okay, well, like number one, why do you have inflammation? What, again, what's the root cause of the inflammation? Is it dietary? Do we need to change your diet? Do I need to put you on an elimination diet? Do we need to cut out? The gluten the dairy the um, soy the corn the nuts the eggs that kind of thing and then a lot of times I'll put you on um, supplements because I want to bring that inflammation down so I'm going to put you on high doses of of curcumin turmeric um, and some products that have that bring down inflammation sometimes I'll put you on a inflammation detox too to bring that inflammation down so a lot of things that I like to do for that Um, but then also People don't realize this my athletes have a lot of inflammation too. Over exercising can be bad, right? Um, we don't talk about this enough, but I'm all about wanting you to be active, but when you're working out 3 hours a day or you're training for that full marathon or that triathlon, that's putting a lot of a lot of stress on your body and that can also can be kind of causing some inflammation too. So
0: and there is some amount of inflammation that's good and that you mentioned exercise. So exercising for three hours when you're training for a marathon might not be so good, but a little bit of inflammation because you worked out for an hour, you exactly. did that spin class or whatever it is. Exactly. Like that, there's some inflammation that's good and that's essential exactly. to Now,
1: Now that inflammation, like you're talking about after you did like a spin class and you're like... Ooh, I'm sore the next day, that's, yeah, that is a little bit of inflammation. But guess what? The inflammation will go away by two or three days. You know, when you have chronic inflammation, that's kind of the stuff that leads to other medical problems. And that's kind of the spiral effect of, of other things going on.
0: Are there anti-inflammatory drinks or particular foods, or I know there's obviously a whole anti-inflammation diet, but I'm just curious, is there one or two things that you think, oh, if everybody just drank this one thing every morning, they would be so much better off or ate this one food every day? Or
1: So, so I am of Indian background and descent. So I'm a big fan of like turmeric, turmeric in your food, and your cooking, golden milk lattes, that kind of thing, you know, big fan of, of curcumin, you know, supplements, um, because there's power to that, you know. Like that's what I grew up eating, and that's kind Plus, of. Plus, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of what I grew up eating and doing, and even even now, like when I'm sick, you know, I still do what my grandmother would tell me to do and make the golden milk, and I'll drink it, you know. And so, there is definitely truth to and power in, in turmeric. So what is
0: your recipe for golden milk latte?
1: Oh, I love it. So um, I, you know, whatever, usually I'll use coconut milk because that's my personal favorite, but whatever, you know, milk alternative, or if you can do dairy, you know, I'll do that and I'll take one tablespoon of um, curcumin or, or turmeric, I should say, boil that in water and um, kind of let it get warm, make it into a latte. And then I'll put, usually I'll do manuka honey with it just to sweeten it a little bit. And manuka honey has a lot of good properties. So it's kind kind of, especially if I'm like feeling under the weather, it's perfect. So, so you easy boil it in water, you boil it in the coconut milk, I actually boil it in the coconut milk. Okay. And then sometimes I'll get fancy and I'll, depending on like how I'm feeling, I'll add like cardamom and cinnamon and all that other stuff, <laughs> but, but you can keep it totally simple and just have. Sounds perfect for the fall winter season. I know I'm excited. <laughs> I'm so excited. Cause I haven't, I haven't had that in a
0: while. <laughs> Let's talk about um, pregnancy and fertility right now. It's very apt because you're sitting here 32 weeks pregnant. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, But this is not your first pregnancy. And um, you had been very open with your struggles with fertility during your first. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I think that you have a really interesting perspective about surrendering and um, how that was part of your pregnancy journey. Yeah.
1: So you know what? I, I I came from the whole thing where... I came from a background I was going, you know, go to med school, go to residency and when I when I decided it was time for me to have a baby after I got married, I was like it's just going to happen, you know, like I've planned my life out. It's going to happen that way. And of course, that's not what happened. And for me, you know, I considered myself really healthy at that. I had and wow. I had, you know, this is after I found out I had celiac and I had, my diet was really clean. I'm taking tons of supplements. I work out all the time. Um, I meditate every day and I was like I'm like the epitome of good health. Like, this doesn't make sense. Like, what's going on? Um, and there's nothing wrong with me. Like, I'm, I'm healthy. You know, like, I consider myself really healthy. But it's sometimes when you want something so badly, it's that it's that inhibiting factor. You know, you're putting subconscious stress on your body and yourself. And that's exactly what I was doing. Like, it was supposed to be easy, but I put all this stress on myself. It was like, oh, I'm gonna get pregnant this month. I'm checking a pregnancy test every month and and it's not supposed to be that way, you know? It's supposed to just happen naturally. And that's eventually what happens, you know, when when you surrender and you let go and you you just kinda I don't wanna say give up. And I don't wanna I don't ever want people who are struggling with fertility to feel like they need to give up because because there's so many choices and so many options these days. But it's, it's learning to surrender and knowing when you're healthy and there's no, you don't have a hormonal balance or there's nothing, you know, your tubes are clear, like your husband's good, like everything else in the books are, are clear. It's a mindset and it's a mindset of, of letting go and letting the universe kind of do its job and, and letting you just be for a second. And, and when everything's kind of where it's supposed to be, like people get pregnant, yeah. So now that you
0: are onto baby number two, was there anything different about the way that you approached um, getting pregnant for the for the second time?
1: So for the second time, honestly, I think because of the mindset of letting go, um, we got pregnant and we weren't even really trying. It was it was kind of easy, right? Where the first time, there were months that I was like crying and I was like depressed. I was like. Why am I not getting pregnant? What's wrong with me? Like, what's going on with me? And and this time it was just so natural and so effortless that that I'm just like, am I pregnant? Like, like you know, like wow, it was that easy. But it, let's go. It, it goes back to that mindset. I had I had programmed my brain uh, when I got pregnant with my daughter, Saraya, um, that that mindset still stayed, um, and I got pregnant.
0: And of course, there's so many different things that can go into um, fertility journeys, and of course, all of the medical things that we've talked about, and then sometimes there are unexplained reasons. And you know, the mindset shift is is really interesting. It works for some people; it doesn't work for others. I'm curious, though, how you um, counsel people to actually make that shift, and what is it in your mindset? Because sure, you can say let go, but what? How do you do that?
1: So <laughs> one of the things I personally did, you know, and I'm I'm, I'm comfortable saying it is, I did a lot. Of, I did hypnotherapy towards the end and that was how I let go. Um I cuz I had been doing everything else. I felt like I was doing everything else, but I was like I knew my I knew I was my my worst enemy. I knew I was my limiting factor. And so I I did a, I did a hypnotherapy for a whole month and that was the month I got pregnant with my first daughter. And um throughout pregnancy kept doing a little bit of the hypnotherapy, kept doing some guided imagery. And I, to me, that's what worked and that's what helped. But that was something I needed to kind of retrain my brain and my mind to to let go. And and for everybody, it's different. Like some people get it instantly. I'm, I guess, I'm a little bit more hard headed. I needed a little bit more intervention. But that's what worked for me. That's so
0: interesting. <laughs> um, if you could give one piece of advice to couples who are trying to conceive, what would it be?
1: Um fertility struggles can be very stressful for a relationship and so just be loving and encouraging and it can be really hard so just support each other be very supportive and understanding of what you guys are going through um and ask for help i feel like people don't ask for help like people keep it on the hush hush like if they're embarrassed about it and listen i was there i understand you know and i and here at I felt embarrassed because I was like, I'm a doctor. I'm, I'm. People are coming to me for their fertility advice, and I can't even get pregnant. Like, what's going on? Like, so I totally understand where where people are coming from, but ask for help. There's help out there, you know. Don't give up your dreams of wanting to have a child, or start a family because you know you don't seek help early on, you know. And there's whether you go the integrative functional route or more of a traditional um, reproductive endocrinology route. Regardless, there's help out there. And just be supportive to each other, and have date nights, and do fun things, and don't don't make it work because there's so much negative energy that can go around. You know, fertility struggles, and you've got to you've got to dismiss all of that, and you got to make it fun again.
0: And what about when you don't feel heard by a doctor, or if the doctors say, "Well, you're fine,"
1: y- y- and you sense no. that something's so amiss so or- I yeah, so like that was me. I went to I went to a reproductive endocrinologist. Um, because at this point i was like i'm a doctor like i'm doing all the right things i need something. something's wrong you know there's got to be something wrong with me and she was like no there's nothing wrong with me you you know these things just happen and i'm like again that was my reassurance of saying so you're telling me there's nothing wrong and i'm still not getting pregnant hmm (laughs) (laughs) and again that's when i was like it's a mindset it has to for me it was a mindset thing um but Again, this is where you're your advocate for yourself, for your own health. Um, if one doctor's not giving you the answers or helping you out or running the type of tests you need, kindly find another doctor. You know there are tons of options. Don't feel limited. Don't feel like you have to just be stuck in this system that's broken. You know, ask questions, seek advice. There are people there to help you. You know, that is something that is so important because a lot of times people are like. Well, my doctor said nothing's wrong with me. So, okay, what do I do now? You know, go find another doctor. And 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 if there's nothing wrong with you, they're telling you there's nothing wrong with you. Um, if they've done all the appropriate testing, I'm assuming, then there's other things that we need to work on.
0: You are um, a real yoga person. You mentioned that yeah. you started it early on when you were in med school and were obviously big fans of yoga here at My Muddy Green. Um, I'm curious about, you've even actually posted pictures of yourself doing headstands while pregnant, <laughs> yes. which is just amazing. <laughs> um, what do you, has the purpose of yoga been on your on your journey and how has it sort of sustained you throughout um, everything that's gone on and you know now going through your pregnancies as
1: well? You know, my yoga journey probably started when I was, um, really young. So I've been fortunate, very, very lucky and blessed that I come from a family of yogis. So that was an introduction early on, but it was probably college again. It was a stress. I remember being really stressed. And that's when I started kind of dabbling into meditation again and then getting into yoga. I remember it was my last year of college, um, starting off with just yoga DVDs because I was too embarrassed to go to a yoga class. And I was like, <laughs> What am I going to do, you know? Um, so it started off about 2013 with like physical asana practices. Again, I really got into it when I went to medical school and that's when I was really passionate about it, dedicated more time to it. And then then you start becoming competitive and you're like, well, I'm going to get that pose and I'm going to... You, you start being competitive with yourself and, and it's fun. And I've been fortunate where... I've studied with some really great yoga teachers over the years and some really great instructors. And so I feel really blessed and humbled by it. And so it really helped me with stress management in medical school and in undergrad, you know, just being healthy. You know, I always turn to yoga. It's something I do for myself. It's harder now because I have, I have a toddler and I don't get to always practice every day. Or yeah, go to, what does your practice go, look like? Go to yoga studios, but I'll practice at home. And so that was the one thing. So I got certified to teach in 2011 with hopes of teaching. I don't teach. I don't. I wish I, I, wish I could and I wish I did just for time con- and restraints. I just don't. But I will practice at home. And so sometimes I'll practice by myself. Sometimes my dog and my daughter will join me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's something that I do for myself. And it's more of a way of life, right? And it's just, it's what makes me happy. I can't explain it. It just makes me happy, just moving. Um, it's my, my yoga during my pregnancy has changed, you know, because certain poses I can't do anymore because they're not comfortable. And you can't do certain poses um, once you, you're, like, your belly gets big kind of thing, um, you don't want to hurt the baby. But I still move. And I will say that yoga was probably the reason why, what got me through my first delivery with my with my baby. And I know that continuing to do yoga will will help with this labor as well.
0: Let's talk about food for a minute. So food yeah. is a big part of healing. It's come up many times already in what we've talked about. And it's one of the key things that you discuss with patients. Like how would you describe your
1: general food philosophy and how that relates to wellness? My general food philosophy—that's a good question. Um, there is no one diet that fits all, so that's a common question I often get: Is what diet should I be on? You know <laughs> what? And I'm like, it's what your body wants, right? Um, some people can get away with eating dairy; some people can't. You know, so I'm the type of person. Granted, you know, I still think that dairy and gluten, you know, should be avoided by a majority of people, but for example, my husband, he has no issues with gluten and dairy. I'm not going to have him restrict that in his diet, you know, Um, especially since he doesn't have any medical problems. He doesn't have any inflammation, any autoimmune conditions. He's healthy, right? Um, That's not to say maybe that one day that may change, you know, and he may need to restrict it, but for right now, he's fine. So it's, again, very individualized. Um, The other thing is a lot of times before, I used to tell people everything in moderation, but everybody's view of moderation is different, you know? So what I think is, is moderate, may, and your view of moderate, may be two different things, you know, mm-hmm. enjoy foods because that's what our society and that's what culturally we're kind of all surrounded by. There's a lot of good, nutritious foods, you know? So eat organic when possible, eat clean when possible, of course, you know? keep to all those standards, but you know, it's okay to cheat sometimes and, and give in because we're human. But if you cheat and you feel like crap, then, then you know what you're getting yourself into. (laughs) So.
0: And what about a food philosophy when it comes to children? I think that so many of us, especially in, who are interested in health and wellness have certain ways of eating that we've become really comfortable with as as adults. Um, I'm curious about if that same philosophy you think should extend to children or if children should have a really broad exposure to all kinds of different foods. What so, do you recommend? So
1: I'll tell you this. Um, so I have celiac. My husband doesn't. Um, that was one of the things I don't want my daughter to have celiac. We She's still kind of young so we haven't done all the fancy testing for her yet. When she gets probably about two or a little older we'll, we'll, we'll um, I'll probably dabble with, with her blood work and you know her genetic testing and that kind of stuff. But until then, my philosophy with my daughter was even in pregnancy was to try to introduce foods to her, especially all the allergen foods to her in pregnancy that I didn't have a reaction to so that she could um, eventually get used to it. And so even when we started feeding her around six months, I introduced wheat to her pretty early because studies have shown that when you, if, if there's a celiac mom or celiac family member, that if you introduce them early, they have a less chance of developing an intolerance. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's interesting because I've also heard the opposite about studies that if you, well, not wait. really the opposite, if but you wait. Mm-hmm. it's it's more about if you introduce a lot of um, gluten early on, mm-hmm. that they will be more prone Sensitive. to developing. Yeah. So
1: it was really hard for me, cause, and even still, like sometimes I'm like, am I doing the right thing? Like I don't know. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm going by certain. Is that the journey of
0: parenthood though? Yeah. <laughs> some,
1: some, sometimes I'm like, oh God, I hope I'm doing the right thing. You know, like because there's a part of me that's like, oh, I just wish you would just be gluten free like me and just gluten-free, dairy-free, and live a happy life. But I don't want to restrict her. Um, And, you know, her dad has a healthy GI system. And and so far, so does she. So I don't want to restrict her by any means. You know, now if I do some testing and realize, oh, she's got some, you know, antibodies that are elevated or something, then of course, that's a different story. But I want her to also have a, a healthy childhood too, right? You know, granted, she's a child and it's easy to adapt at a younger age. But, you know, for example, she goes to a Montessori school, and they all eat snacks together at this twice a day at the same time. Lunch we we send from home, but their snacks sometimes are like include gluten crackers that I probably n- never would have bought. But you know, she enjoys them, and to think that if she were restricted, she couldn't socialize or like even eat with her friends. I mean, granted, she's young and she doesn't understand the difference, but it's that whole that whole thing that starts now and. The behaviors of eating and the behaviors of like eating with people. So, yeah, it's, 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 right. it's. So is the individual food more important or is the healthy practices of? It's, it's a lot. It's, 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 kind <laughs> of, it's, it's, it's kind balance. of a light. It's a lot. So, when, so even with us, like I cook and majority of the time her diet is gluten free as much as possible. But, you know, if she eats a, a croissant at school or if she eats a little, you know, goldfish here and there, it's fine. But the biggest thing that I did was, Exposure to eggs and peanuts and everything, even after six months, like, you know, about eight, nine months, I was like, let's make sure you, you could do a, you well with eggs. And I did that stuff early on because I don't want her to develop an allergy, that kind of thing.
0: For people who want to dive into this world of functional medicine, who might not live in Atlanta and can come and see you, um, what advice do you give? How do you recommend that people start to find practitioners that they can work with who share this philosophy or start to work with the doctor that they already have, but in possibly
1: a more integrative way? So, a couple things. Um, I know both the University of Arizona um, Integrative Medicine Fellowship Program as well as the Institute of Functional Medicine. Um, they both have websites, and they have links to doctors that have been trained under them. So you're always a great resource to look for someone local in your area that's been trained in uh, in a certain way. Um, you know, again, be an advocate for your health. Ask questions. If your doctor's not, you know, giving you the information you want, look for another doctor. There are people out there that can help you. Um, there are a lot of different providers out there that are very knowledgeable um, that have Either been through some of these things themselves. Ma- majority of the doctors that have, have that are in the integrative functional world have probably been through something, and that's kind of what makes them unique and 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 great doctors because they can relate to you, you know. Um, but definitely uh, do some research. And one thing I will say, and I see this in practice all the time: don't do things yourself. So don't start just um, going soy free because you you are th- going keto because it's trendy and, and that may work, you know, short term, but, um, sometimes or, or commonly I'll see people taking like 10 supplements and they're like, well, I read up on this and that, and I think it's supposed to be good. And, um, I read this in so-and-so's book and I'm like, but do you need it? Does your body need it? So yes, there's a lot of advice out there. There's a lot of like, you know, um, online resources and there's a lot of books out there, but it may not necessarily be the best for you. So have someone help you. Don't just do things blindly. You know, I want you to be an advocate, but but have someone guide you.
0: How do you see the future of medicine and functional medicine in particular evolving?
1: You know, I'm kind of excited about it because I I I feel like in five years from now, I think it'll be more mainstream. I hope. Um, I hope that, you know, we are teaching this. I actually hope that we end up start teaching and this in med school. And what does mainstream
0: look like? Yeah. Do you think that it will be taught in med school? Do you think That's that what there I hope. just will be more practitioners out I, there?
1: I, well, definitely. I see more practitioners out there within five years, maybe within 10 years. I hope that it's trickling down the med school route and, um, you know, future doctors are automatically taught this kind of way. I'd love to see that. That would just be amazing. You know, where everyone has this philosophy already and they understand it you know we're already learning biochemistry in medical school and that's what kind of functional medicine stems from but then spending more time on prevention and wellness and that's not what medical school does right now medical school teaches us more you know diagnosis and treatments and treatments unfortunately are medications right now so i'd love for there to be more more time spent on that um so maybe 10 years, <laughs> maybe 10 years. But, you know, wellness is such a big thing and patients are demanding it. And I think the more patients demand it, the more healthier and health conscious our society gets. It'll push that that want and that need to medical schools. So it's a good thing.
0: If you could get everybody listening to this podcast making one change in their life, doing one thing to dramatically improve their health Moving
1: forward, what would one it be? One thing, wow, that's a big thing. Um, <laughs> lots of things. You know what? I'm probably going to have to say take a probiotic, gut health. Take a good quality probiotic. Don't just don't just take a crappy one. <laughs> take a really good pre- probiotic that has more than like four to five strands of different bacteria. The more uh, diversity in um, that we have in our gut, the better. The more colony-forming units. So I say definitely more than 20 billion colony-forming units of a, of a bacteria. Um that's probably what I would say. And the other thing, if I, I'm going to add something else, can I add something else? Please do. Is um, is honestly manage your stress. Learn to manage your stress because between gut health and chronic stress, those are the reasons why we end up having all these chronic medical conditions. So stress management, and I know that's kind of broad and it's, um, it's like, where do you start with stress management? But um, just the fact that you identify that you have chronic stress is, is important and then figuring it out personally how you can deal with chronic stress, whether it's meditation or yoga or maybe you, you guided meditation or hypnotherapy or you you end up seeing a therapist or we put you on supplements, like whatever it is, you know, to me, between gut health and chronic stress, I think um, we could prevent a lot of things.
0: Thank you so much for being here.
1: Oh, thank you for having me.